What's up everybody? Welcome back to the B6 Broadcast episode 3. I'm your host Mark Oldacres and today we're going to be previewing Aston Villa versus Southampton. A huge game coming up on Saturday afternoon for Villa. But before that we've actually got some news to get to regarding a former Villa player. So let's get into it. Alright, so let's get right to the big news and it is that Alan Hutton has retired. The 35-year-old right-back who played 201 games for Aston Villa in eight years, uh, was part of the promotion team last year, was released upon promotion to the Premier League and did not find another club afterwards. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of Alan Hutton. Um, I love the commitment that he brought to Villa, particularly in those later years, in the championship years. During a kind of a period of of darkness for Villa, he was he was a figure of of effort and and uh, persistence and consistency for me. Uh, big big fan of Al. Uh, he scored three goals for Villa in his career. All of them were memorable. The first was uh, it was a late winner against Leicester on the half volley. To this day, I have no idea what he was doing in the box. I think that was kind of what got him free. I don't think any of the Leicester defenders saw that one coming. Um, and it was a right foot half volley at the near post past Schmeichel uh, for the Villa win there. His second one was against Hull on the opening day of last season uh, in Villa's 3-1 win there. And that one, that one felt special because Hutton had just signed a new one-year contract. His contract had been up the previous season. Um, he'd taken a pay cut to stay at Villa. Uh, don't get me wrong, he would have been taking a pay cut wherever he went, 33-year-old right back. I know he did have other offers from Nottingham Forest and possibly Rangers, so maybe he could have made a little bit more money, but he wanted to stay at Villa. This was at a time, easy to forget because it was. it seems like a lifetime ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago that Villa were in Essentially looking like financial ruin. Grealish was supposed to be out the door. James Chester possibly as well. And it was really dark times for Villa. He stayed and on the first uh, day of the season, away at Hull, scored the third goal. Um, one of his classic marauding runs uh, and a right foot finish. And then the third one, of course, we all know this one, the best of the bunch. Um, a run from the halfway line against Blues to seal the game, a 4-2 win. A left foot finish. Bouncing off Craig Gardner as well on the way through. Just an absolutely unreal moment. Um, it's the kind of moment that Villa Park had been waiting years for, probably since his previous goal. But back then he wasn't so much of a favourite. Um, but he grew to be, obviously, over his, his years at Villa. And, and he was always one of those players that every time he kind of got towards the edge of the box and either didn't shoot or did and it flew 30 yards over the bar, every time I was thinking... Oh my God, if Alan Hutton actually scores a goal here, this place is going to explode. And for him to do it against Blues, to seal the win, was as pure a moment as you can as you can get. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, just the other thing, the final thing really that I'll remember about Alan Hutton is I refer to him as the cockroach because you just could not get rid of Alan Hutton. Um, he was sent out on loan three times to Nottingham Forest, to Mallorca, which was strange, and to Bolton um, after he fell out of favour with with Paul Lambert. Four other right-backs were signed in the Lambert and onwards era 
Matt Loughton, Richie Delat, James Bree, Ahmed Al Mohamedi, and Alan Hutton just kept getting back in the team. No matter how many times they tried to replace him or push him out, his play warranted a spot in the team. So much so that under Steve Bruce, he was playing left back for a lot of the time. Um, you just could not get rid of Alan Hutton, the ultimate pro. He just kept working, working, working and got himself back in the team. And I actually think he was kind of an under, underrated player as well. Obviously, we know about kind of the, the effort and the steel and all of that kind of stuff. But I genuinely believe he was, a, especially in the championship years, a, an actually quality, quality player for Villa. And I think that kind of went unnoticed at times. And not only did Alan Hutton outlast all of those right backs... He outlasted Alex McLeish, Paul Lambert, Tim Sherwood, Remy Gard, Roberto Di Matteo, and Steve Bruce. That is six managers. Six managers. He had seven, obviously, if you count Dean Smith, but Dean's still here. Um, but just to, to actually stay at the club for that length of time with that amount of turnover in the managerial department is kind of incredible. But yeah, big, big fan of Alan Hutton. Congrats to him on a good career, uh, on his retirement. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get to see him back at Villa Park soon. I think personally they should bring back testimonials. I, I, I think in my time supporting Villa, I don't think I've ever seen a testimonial for a Villa player um, at Villa Park. Alan Hutton, if you're not going to give him one, you know, who does get one? Uh, I mean, the the amount he's given to this club over, over eight years, I, I certainly think he... He warrants it, and I'd like to see that come maybe this summer. Moving on, we've got some Villa players that have been recognised for their good performances uh, in the week. Pepe Reina, first of all, discussed him on the uh, the match recap from the game against Spurs. I thought he was fantastic. The fact that he con- conceded three goals in that game is kind of baffling, really, because uh, he, he was tremendous. He were made who scored team of the week uh, despite conceding those three goals. So that was good for him. He has been he has been good since he's came in. He hasn't been perfect, obviously. But on Sunday, I really thought you saw the best of what, what Rayner can provide. And the second player is Jack Grealish, who has been named in the Who Scored Inform 11. And only two players in that 11 have a better rating in terms of their current form. Van Grealish, that's Richarlison, and Jordan Henderson. Um, who are both playing very well right now as well. But good to see Grealish. Obviously, it's kind of you know obvious how well he's playing to, to Villa fans, but you're starting to see more of that national attention. Some of it's obviously frustrating because every single day is linked with this club and that club, and he's going house hunting in Manchester when he's actually in Dubai. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, and I think you can tell Dean Smith's kind of getting tired of answering questions about it as well. Um, but it's good to see him recognised for the talent that he is. He's well on course to go to the Euros with England and um, and represent Villa there. Maybe even play for England at Villa Park, which would be, I mean, amazing if that was if that was to happen. So uh, yeah, all good on that front. Moving on to a bit of a a dark note, really a sad note in the um, the Ghana Lions uh, Twitter account sent out a tweet earlier this week. Obviously, the Ghana Lions have kind of gained a little bit of a little bit of fame because of um, a, uh, a video, a short film of sorts that came out about the Ghana Lions, a whole, a whole town uh, seemingly in Ghana that is mad for Aston Villa 
huge supporters of the club, uh, which I think is absolutely fantastic. It's brilliant to see um, Villa support all around the world and people be proud to be Villa fans. Um, but they sent out a tweet earlier this week um, saying that they had been receiving uh, racial abuse um, from alleged Villa fans uh, in their direct messages, saying that they're they're not they're not worthy of supporting Villa because of the colour of their skin or supposedly, uh, assumedly, because of where they are from. Um, this is an absolute disgrace. Obviously, you would hope that these people are actually not Villa fans and are imposters. Either way, it's horrendous, um, you know, behaviour. Um, but if this is Villa fans, then these people are not Villa fans, you know, in the eyes of the 99% of, of fans of Villa that condemn their behaviour. And it was great to see in, the, you know, the comments to to their tweet in which they said they don't want to be on Twitter anymore. And, you know, obviously it's it's been quite distressing for them, as you can imagine. Great to see loads of support from you know, big figures in terms of kind of more famous Villa fans um, and just everybody flooding the comment section with support and saying, no, don't let these people, you know, bring you down. What you guys doing, what you guys are doing is great. Uh, the AVFC support Twitter page also replied and was uh, asking them to direct message them with more information. So it's good to see the club acting on it as well. Um, and I, ju- I just think with this kind of thing, if this is Villa fans, it's it's kind of... I mean, it's just the most stupid thing because we have players at Aston Villa from Zimbabwe and from Tanzania. We have black players in Wesley, Esri Konza, Courtney Horse, Keenan Davis, Tyrone Mings. And that's just in the first team. That's just in the, the first team squad. To racially abuse people and say that they don't deserve to support your team as if you know your team doesn't have in it lots and lots of players from different backgrounds different cultures different ethnicities and that's obviously a great thing it's just the most stupid thing i can think of and these people are not villa fans i hope they're i hope they're found um and i hope that they are you know punished accordingly we don't want these people at villa park and we don't want these people representing our club it's just not good enough. Okay, we're going to move on now to an actual preview at last of Villa versus Southampton. All right, so moving on to Villa versus Southampton then, the match preview. First of all, we're just going to go through kind of the tail of the tape coming into this one. Southampton at the moment are eighth in the form table, which covers the last six games, but they have lost three of their last four. Villa are 12th in the form table. Last time out, Southampton lost at home to Burnley with Ashley Westwood scoring direct from a corner. Now, can I just say, when Ashley Westwood was at Villa, all of his corners were floated way towards the edge of the box, never did any damage, except for possibly when Christian Benteke leapt above about four players and and headed one in. Suddenly now he goes to Burnley and he's whipping corners into the net. Fair enough. I think Storm Dennis, you know, had a hand in it. Uh, and certainly Danny Ings just leaving the ball at the front post. Keeper standing behind his line. A lot has to go right or wrong for a, a guy to score straight from a corner. But still, come on, man. We never saw this Ashley Westwood. Um, Southampton at home this season have actually 
not been good at all. Um, they have the worst record in the division with just 11 points from 13 games. And they haven't won at home in the league since New Year's Day. Um, on the flip side of that, Villa have the second worst away record in the division. Eight points from 13 games. So it's kind of a weakness on weakness kind of game. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this one plays out. Um, and kind of what gives here, you know, uh, in terms of that. After the three goals that Villa conceded against Spurs on Sunday, they now have the worst defence in the Premier League in terms of goals conceded. It's 50 goals conceded now. Um, Southampton are tied 19th. So, again, you know, two weaknesses there up against each other, two teams that have not kept the ball out of the net consistently this season. So, expect goals in this one. It'll probably be nil-nil now I've said that. But, in theory, there should be goals here. Uh, and... Also, when you look at the other side of that, it backs that up. Villa have scored the ninth most goals in the league um, and Southampton have scored the 11th most. So sort of middle of the pack, but much better than their defensive records are. One thing that I think is, well, it's interesting and it's kind of frustrating as well about um, Villa's goal record and, and being ninth most in the league. It's actually really frustrating when you look at the teams that are above Villa because they're all good, good teams. Uh, the list is Man City, Liverpool, Leicester, Chelsea, Tottenham, Man United, Arsenal and Wolves are the only teams that have scored more than Villa. All of those, I think you'd agree, are good top half Premier League sides or top four, you know, champions, whatever. All right, so next up, we're going to move on to the team news coming into the game. All right, so the team news then coming into this big, big game for Villa. And it's looking good for Villa in terms of the, the injuries. Uh, that have been accumulated by both teams. On the Villa side, Tyrone Mings is back, according to, to Dean Smith. He'll be available for the game on Saturday after getting over his bout of tonsillitis. On the Southampton side, they're really banged up right now. Um, Kyle Walker-Peters, who they just brought in on loan, is out. Uh, he's picked up, I believe it's a calf injury. And what's interesting about that is that, obviously, Southampton allowed Cedric to go out on loan to Arsenal. And the last game before, after Cedric left, that Walker-Peters couldn't play, they actually had to put James Ward-Prowse at right back. So that's obviously not ideal for them in terms of Ward-Prowse as a defensive player and taking him away from the midfield. So that could be big if that's what has to happen here. And also in the midfield area, Nathan Redmond is out of this game. He'll be out for a while. And Buffal is also out which has knocked them down to kind of two players to occupy those winger slash attacking midfielder roles. So it's probably going to be Armstrong and Gianepo, uh starting this one. Gianepo is a pretty lively player, but I would suggest maybe not the most consistent based on the fact that he hasn't been playing in recent weeks. Um, but obviously Redmond not being there is a big, big loss because he was a massive part of their, of their resurgence and their climbing of the table. So Villa, certainly the healthier team, Coming into this game, hopefully they can take advantage of that. And up next, we're going to look at the talking points for this game. All right, so the talking points for this game. The first one, it's the most obvious one based on everything that we've just talked about, everything that we've seen throughout the season. It is time for the defence to step up. All season, Villa fans have been talking about Wesley isn't good enough. We need more wingers, etc., etc. But we know for a fact now, 
It's been the defensive side of the ball that's been letting Villa down all year. The amount of times Villa have taken the lead against teams, not been able to hold on to it. It's really, really killed them. And if they just hold on to it, even half of those leads, they'd be well clear of relegation by now uh, and in a really comfortable position. But that's not where we are. You have to wonder whether, if not for the injuries to Wesley, to Heaton, that kind of forced them into action in those areas in the transfer window, whether they'd have put a bit more emphasis on signing defensive help. Um, I know they were linked with the Croatian centre-back Vida. Obviously, didn't didn't happen in the end, but there were quite strong links there. Quite an inexperienced um, back line with kind of Mings, Konza and Horse. Mings is kind of the most experienced of the three and he's not been a centre-back for all that long. Uh, at the professional level, so that kind of that kind of tells you all you need to know. Obviously, Konza wasn't starting every single game for Brentford last year, and Courtney Horse obviously hasn't played that much football up until he signed for Villa last last year as well. Bjorn Engels new to the league, etc. You do wonder whether maybe looking back, Villa would, you know, that the hierarchy in terms of Christian Perslow and, and Suso would maybe regret not putting a bit more emphasis on experience in the defence. Um, I actually looked into this a little bit, just in terms of, I wanted to look at the reasons possibly behind why Villa have conceded so many goals, because I think most people would agree that if you take Villa's back line and goalkeeper at the moment, that they're a Premier League quality defence, um, that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be conceding this many goals. And... My viewpoint on this for most of the season really has been to kind of pin it on the midfield and that there's not been enough protection from them and that's kind of the main reason. After looking into it a little bit more in terms of just the numbers behind it, I would have to say that it's probably more 50-50 because when you look at it, um, I actually put some threads up on Twitter about this. Um, at B6 Broadcast is the handle, if you want to have a look at those. Uh, and on the AVFC subreddit as well. So there's some quite damning uh, stats in here. Um, Villa have allowed 426 shots so far this season, which is 44 more than anyone else uh, in the Premier League. That is a massive, massive gap between us and 19th place for that, for that stat. Uh, it's averaging at 15.11 shots per 90 minutes against, which is obviously way, way too high. Um, so that kind of could indicate that, okay, we're not getting enough protection teams are getting to the edge of the box far too easily, which I do believe is the case. When you look at how easy it is for teams to get to Villa's box, conversely with how how much Villa have tended to struggle to do that to teams uh, going the other way, I'd say that's that's been quite obvious this season. But then if you look at kind of the other stats, it does show that maybe the actual defenders themselves have been a little bit too passive. Um, so, for example, only four teams have entered less defensive duels than Villa and no one, no one in the league has a lower success rate in their defensive duels. So that not only shows perhaps a passiveness, but also just not good enough, um, you know, in those in those one on one kind of situations. Only three teams have conceded more fouls per 90 minutes than Villa. Um, so again, that kind of shows you, you know, the tackles that Villa are putting in probably aren't the best. But on the other hand, only two teams in the league actually have a higher number of interceptions than Villa, which that kind of shows maybe the, the philosophy of sit back, soak it up and try and cut the ball out rather than going and engaging. Um, but I do genuinely think it's it's a 50-50 issue here. 
it doesn't reflect particularly well on John Terry, the defensive coach, um, who's also inexperienced in this role. Obviously, as a player, has all the experience you could wish for, but as an actual coach. And I, I do wonder whether maybe it was a nice appointment, John Terry. Um, and I, I like JT, obviously. Big fan of him when he was when he was at Villa and throughout his career. But should they maybe have gone for a more experienced defensive coach to pair with Dean Smith and uh, Richard O'Kelly? Because obviously we are having issues. It's just a theory, but uh, it's just something to, to think about. And then the other numbers that I, that I looked into, which were also pretty made for pretty grim reading, was the actual individual ratings for Villa's defenders, which are poor and surprising in, in some areas. These numbers are all from the stats website WhoScored that I mentioned earlier today. Um, of the 59 centre-backs that have played 10 or more Premier League games this season, Villa's highest ranked one is Courtney Horse, which I'm sure many people would be surprised about. Again, I, I discussed this a little bit on the, on the uh, AVFC subreddit and, you know, a lot of pushback I actually got from these from these numbers and people saying you can't really read things into these stats. You know, if it's saying Courtney Horse is our best centre-back, then what does that tell you about the, the stats themselves? Are they correct? And fair enough, I would say, take these things with a pinch of salt. But there's no smoke without fire. And, and you know, these this website is extremely trusted. It's trusted by clubs themselves. You know, these numbers aren't just thrown together. And if Courtney Horse is grading as Villa's best centre-back, then there's obviously a reason for that. I'm not saying I agree with it, because I don't. I think he is probably the weakest of, this, of the centre-backs, but it was a massive surprise to see that there. Um, Tyrone Mings and Bjorn Engels, uh, they share a tie for 49th out of 59, um, along with a few other players from different clubs. And only six centre-backs have a lower rating than those two. One of them is Esri Konza, who ranks as the worst rated centre-back in the league by these metrics. That was a big, big shock, um, I have to say. It may well be that kind of he's a bit more passive, doesn't engage as much, and that's why he's not getting good scores because of that. But he does have some very low scores from some individual games. Uh, the Watford game, the 3-0 defeat in particular, I think he, he kind of ranks, his rating was kind of five points something, which is very low. Um, considering based on their metrics between six and seven is average. So five point whatever is going to be below average. I remember particularly in that game, he gave the ball away di that directly led to a goal. So obviously that's going to drop your rating quite a lot. As I say, don't take these these numbers as gospel. I just thought they were really kind of interesting. Um, and then when you look at the fullbacks, it's kind of a totally different story. Um, Matt Target ranks as the fifth best left back in the Premier League um, out of the 22 players that have played 10 games or more. And Frederick Gilbert, by the same standard, is the seventh best right back out of 21. So they're obviously ranking much higher. So obviously, if, if we're going to talk about, well, you know, you, you can't use the stats to judge the centre-backs. Those are incorrect. Like, you know, Conza uh, isn't that bad. He's better than Horse, etc., etc. Then does that mean the numbers for targeting Gilbert are incorrect as well? Is it all wrong? Because... That doesn't seem right to me. As I say, take these numbers as you will, but I just thought they were they made for some interesting reading and kind of grim reading, really, um, in terms of how Villa's 
centre-backs are, are grading out. In terms of the defence, I think having Tyrone Mings back is going to make a big difference, hopefully, for Villa. Um, last time we played Southampton, it was Bjorn Engels and Courtney Horse, I believe, together at the back. Um, with Mings, uh, he must have been missing from, from the injury that he got against, against Leicester. The hamstring, I think it was. And I remember distinctly in that game, Villa actually kind of started the game fairly well. And out of nowhere, ball over the top, Shane Long in behind, um, Danny Ings following behind him. Bjorn Engels gets turned. He's not the quickest in the world. We know that. Um, and it, it was kind of game over. You know, uh, Long has a shot. Ings puts in the rebound and Southampton are off and running. We know Engels struggles with pace. So having Mings back hopefully will make a difference there. So next up, I just want to talk about the midfield and how Dean Smith goes about that. It's going to be an interesting decision. I don't think he can justify playing Drinkwater again in this game. If it was me, I don't think you can justify playing him for the rest of the season, but that's just me. Um, so for me, it comes down to Nakamba or Horahan to go with Douglas Louise. And that is kind of going to be maybe a bit of an indicator for Smith about how he wants to attack this game. Is he going solidity or is he going a goal threat? Because Nakamba obviously is more lively, more defensive minded, can win the ball back better. Horahan does tend to get lost in games, but he has a goal in him. So it's kind of that decision, you know, how do you want to attack this game? How aggressive do you want to be? Last time we played Southampton, um, Horahan played in a three-man midfield. Um, we kind of didn't show up that game. And that is sometimes a symptom of what happens when Horahan plays. He does just go missing for spells uh, at a time. It's very frustrating to me. Um, but no one can doubt the fact that he creates, provides goals at a very high, a high rate. And if you actually look at how Villa were setting up the last time we played Southampton, which was just under two months ago, um, but it seems like a lifetime ago, because if you look at it, we were still a back four, then we hadn't switched to the five yet. Obviously, as I mentioned, Mings was out, so you had Engels playing in there with, with Horse. Uh, John McGinn got injured during that game in the first minute of the game, which kind of set the tone for the disaster that was about to come. And Wesley was still up front, who it seems like we haven't seen him. Obviously, it's been sort of a month, month and a half. It seems like I haven't seen him in forever. Um, so this is a totally different, really, Villa team, Villa setup to the last time we played Southampton. And hopefully we'll get a different performance and a different result as well. Obviously, one of the other main points that I really need to, to stress in this game is, is Danny Ings, because he's on an absolute tear in terms of goal scoring. He's getting rightfully consideration for an England place, going to the Euros, all of that stuff. He scored two past Villa at Villa Park. Stopping him is going to be is going to be key to this game. Dean Smith said as much. He needs the defend the defenders have to have a good game if they can keep him quiet, especially with the lack of service, possibly with uh, kind of not their main players available behind him. It's. A chance for Villa. This really is. Um, it's obviously a huge game, uh, but they all are at this point of the season. There's no kind of at this point when when it's this close down at the bottom. There's no okay. Well, we're going to target this game for points or that game for points. Every single game is massive now, but this is a huge, huge opportunity, especially with Southampton having a weakened team, poor home record, Villa coming off 
obviously a disappointing result, but a great performance against Spurs. There is no excuse to not go and put in a good performance and get a win, get a result at St. Mary's on Saturday. We probably need realistically four wins and a draw or two between now and the end of the season to stay up. This is a big, big chance to get one, to get one of those wins if you can get it then you're kind of off and running a little bit with West Ham playing Liverpool this weekend. It's another opportunity to just edge further away. Um, I don't care how we do it. We just have to grind out these results now. We can't keep talking about it's been a good performance, this good performance, that. This team is too good to go down, in my opinion. This team should not go down, but they will if they can't learn to finish, finish teams off, finish games. And uh, we'll see if they can if they can do it this Saturday. All right, so that'll do it for episode three of the B6 broadcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, then please consider subscribing on Spotify or Anchor, uh, where you can listen to the podcast right now. Uh, hopefully, it'll be out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever the app is called soon. Um, but I'm not sure on the status of that. Um. Any support that you can give the show in terms of telling people about it, spreading the word, all of that kind of stuff is is uh, is really helpful. I'll be back after the Southampton game with a recap, hopefully, of a Villa win. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter as well, it is at B6 Broadcast. I'm going to be trying to put up more content on there for you guys, like the threads that I put up earlier this week. So, uh, so do give that a look as well. But until after the Southampton game, this has been the B6 Broadcast. Thank you for listening. Up the villa.